Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. We get to begin a new series this morning called Practicing the Presence. (laughs) So, each of you is not only a human being, but also a human becoming. Because life and the kind of person that you are is not a static kind of thing. We're constantly in the process of being shaped. So I wonder if you've ever thought about what kind of person you're becoming. What kind of person do you want to become? If you could picture right now the kind of person that you admire. It could be an actual person, could be a theoretical person. If you think of the kind of person that you admire, not just for their achievements or their looks or their possessions, but for their character, what kind of person, what kind of qualities do you imagine? Now set your mind on that. And imagine that you determine you are going to become that kind of person. How exactly would you do it? How would you go about becoming that kind of person? Now when you think of Jesus, you think of his character. You think of the kind of person that he was. He was utterly free. He was utterly secure in himself. He was good. He was full of love. He was happy. He was emotionally mature. He was wise. He was intelligent. He was authentic. He was heroic. And on and on and on. Doesn't this sound like the kind of person we all long to be like? And if you don't want to be that kind of person, then my question is, what kind of person do you want to be? And why? Because it's not a question of whether you're going to become like someone. The question is, who are you going to become? Everyone is a disciple to someone or something. That's our first point. And Jesus invites us to follow him, to be discipled to him, so that we become like him. And so that's why we're here. That's why we gather to worship. That's why we follow him, is to become like him. It's to be with him so that we can become like him. That's the whole point of our discipleship to Jesus. We need his presence. We need his presence. And so maybe that is the reason you're at church and listening to this right now is that you know you want to be, you you need to be transformed by his presence. But you've probably found out along the way that trying to become like Jesus by simply attending church, it's like kinda it's kinda like trying to learn a language an hour and a half a week. You learn it. Kinda. Slowly. Very frustratingly. 
and then you find yourself in a situation where you need to use it and you, uh, you don't quite know what to do and you can't quite get the words out. And so there's actually a better way to learn a language. It's called immersion. <laughs> and the most effective way of learning languages is when you have both, when you've got the learning and then you've got the immersion paired up together. It's not only bringing yourself into the classroom, but it's bringing the classroom into your actual life. Why do you need to do that? Because classrooms, and I'm equating what's happening right now to a classroom-type setting because it's, it's one person monologuing for 40 minutes or so. 45, okay. <laughs> Fine. All right. <laughs> Why do we need that? Because classroom settings are good at addressing your mind. But when you look at the studies, scientists show that 95% of your brain activity is not conscious, it's unconscious. So the classroom is really good at addressing your conscious mind, your conscious thinking. But if 95% of your brain activity and your actions are unconscious, it means we're not addressing 95% of what you actually think, feel, and do. The vast majority of what you do and think is automatic. It's built into your body by habits and patterns. It's like reflex. It's, it's muscle memory. And that includes not only your bodily functions, like breathing and your heartbeat and blinking, but your emotional responses. How do you react when the person cuts you off on the intersection? You don't think about that. It happens, right? And you catch yourself. That's your conscious brain catching up with your unconscious bodily patterns. It's your personality. It's your beliefs and values that go beyond not just what you profess to believe, but what you actually believe under the surface, which is shown by how you act and what you do. And so these are the kinds of things that you do without thinking, right? Just like, to bring it back to the languages thing, it's just like how you're able to speak your native tongue without really thinking. It just comes to you. Now, you had to learn it as a kid, but now as an adult or an older, you know, young person, you don't have to think about it. You just speak. And so in the same way, you can sit under hundreds of hours of teaching over a lifetime, thousands even, and it will address your conscious mind and it will produce some change. And yet, if you really want to become the kind of person who automatically who without having to think, reacts and thinks and feels in the kinds of ways that Jesus naturally did. It takes more than just being in the classroom. You have to take the classroom into your life, into the fabric of your daily work, family, everything. Your life has to become the classroom. And that's why Jesus said in John 8, 31, he said, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, which is an older term for living, if you live in my word, so not only listen to it, not only know it, but live in it. In other words, immerse yourself in it. Bring it into your everyday life. He says, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And then the part that everyone knows and the truth will set you free. So for the truth to set you free, first of all, you have to know it. 
But to actually know it, Jesus says, you have to learn it from Jesus by abiding with him. His presence with you. Living together. And so you need not only to experience his presence, we have to practice his presence. So that's the heart of this series that we're going to begin today. That information is not alone, information alone is not enough to produce change. For transformation to happen, we need to find a different way to live. And so, that's the next point, that information does not equal transformation. Jesus is inviting us to learn from him so that we can become like him. And we do this by practicing the habits of his own life as a community. All right, so this morning we're beginning this three-month season of focusing our heart and our intent on practicing his presence together. Three months as a whole church dedicated to three practices of Jesus' own life. So we're going to be looking at three distinct practices that we observe in the life of Jesus that shaped him into the kind of person that he was. You know that scripture says he had to learn obedience. It's the fullness of Jesus' humanity that we get to see in that. And so we get to participate in those same things. And by doing so, we get to learn the same way that he learned. And so we're doing this together by using some really excellent materials by a ministry called Practicing the Way. And they're really nicely produced. And I'm going to introduce you to how this goes. So uh, there's a weekly rhythm to each of these things, okay? So... Here it is, four parts. We gather, we learn, we practice, and we reflect. Gather, learn, practice, reflect. Okay, so we get together and we learn. That's happening in one sense right now. Then we go out and we practice some exercises. And we reflect on it. Then we gather again and share how it went. And it all starts again. It's very simple. We gather, we learn, we practice, we reflect. And for some of us, this kind of large Sunday morning setting, it it might be your only exposure to this. But really, what I want to encourage you is that this kind of setting, whether whether it's in Mukunji or, or in Bethlehem, it's really way too big of a setting to have the kinds of relationships that we really need to, to grow deeply. So I want to encourage you, if it, do whatever you can, do your utmost to plug yourself into a smaller subset, a micro-community over these next few weeks and months so that you get the opportunity to get as much growth as possible as we do this. All right, so I want to encourage you to join what we're calling the practice groups, And if there's not one that you can join or that you want to join, start one. And invite one or two other people, at least a three triad. I think it would be a minimum kind of size, but start one. All the stuff is prepackaged. It's very nicely produced. It's ready to just use. And so if you've got a group already, if you've got some sort of home group or affinity group, then I'd encourage you to let this be your focus for the next few months. And I'd also encourage you to open up the doors to allow other people to join your group. 
Because it's, it's one thing to have your friendship group or your group, but this is a season, I think, where the Lord wants us to be hospitable, which means opening the door to new people. Because we want everyone to have a place where they can be included and, and find a smaller community to do this with. So you can find everything that I've just talked about and far more, all the resources, all the stuff at nc4.org forward slash practice. All right? Or if you forget that, just go to our website and there's a banner you can click on. Okay? But forward slash practice and all the stuff is there. And can you imagine what kind of growth we might be able to see in our lives and in our community if we can really dedicate ourselves for these few months to doing some of the practices that we see in Jesus' life? I'm really excited to see what the Lord's going to do through this. So this is practicing the presence. And this morning, we begin our first one, which is the practice of Sabbath. Practice of Sabbath. And I want to begin with a question, and this is a real question, not rhetorical. And I want you to hear this question, turn to your neighbor, and talk to them about it. Or if you're like really strongly introverted, then turn inside and talk to yourself about it. Talk to somebody about it. Okay, so here's the question. What is your understanding of the Sabbath? And is the Sabbath a part of your life currently or not? Okay? One minute, go. Okay, that's a minute. I'll be interested to hear what some of your responses were afterwards. Okay, so we're going to talk about Sabbath. According to studies, the average American sees between 4,000 and 10,000 ads every day. (laughs) So I want to show you one that you might have seen before. If you've seen TV in the last two years, you probably have seen this. Here you go. Now, if you don't know what that product is, it's a beverage. And if you don't know who that is, that is Snoop D-O-double-G. And my question for you guys is, what exactly are they selling? They're not really selling a beer. They're selling Sabbath. They're selling a lifestyle. The word Sabbath 
in Hebrew is Shabbat. It literally means to stop, to cease, or be done. And, you know, I thought this was a funny example, but how many ads can you think of that are selling this exact same thing? Because every marketing department knows that we want that picture. (laughs) We want that kind of life. And yet we don't have it. And so, here's your chance to buy it. Get our computer, get our car, get our drink, get our piece of clothing, get our piece, you know. This product will solve your inner desire for this kind of life. If you get this product, you could be like him. Right? Isn't that the, isn't that the message? <laughs> and so, here's the lie. You don't need to buy Sabbath. You don't need a silk smoking jacket. You don't need velvet slippers. <laughs> you don't need a Mexican beer. You don't even need to go to the beach. You just need to stop. Embedded in our humanity is a desire for the Sabbath kind of life. The Sabbath kind of life. A life where we're at peace with God and we live with joy. And I want to tell you, that is exactly the kind of life that Jesus was inviting us into. In Matthew 11, it's one of Jesus' most famous invitations. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if we could put it up, I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage in Matthew from the Message Bible. Some of the most memorable turns of phrase from his paraphrase. It says, Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and rightly. If I could use one phrase scripturally to summarize the whole heart of this series, it's that, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and rightly. How are you this morning? (laughs) If I passed you in the hallway and I asked you that question, probably at least half of us would say, tired, right? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Tired is the new normal, right? And so why is that? Why are we so tired? Well, part of it is just basic biology. And this is a really interesting fact that I came across uh, in the, the study materials. 
up until very recently in human history, get this, most people slept 10 to 11 hours every night. There's really not, you know, too many things you can get up to when there's no electricity and it's after dark and you've been out in the field working all day. Right? So people slept. (laughs) Now, the average in Western nations these days, can you guess, is six hours. So we're getting almost half the amount of sleep that most humans have had for most of history. So there's a simple biological reason why we're tired. We're not sleeping enough. (laughs) Actually, you know, some people point out, if you can boast about sleeping enough, it's actually a new status symbol. (laughs) Really. Because it means you make so much money that, you you know, you can sleep. (laughs) But here's the thing. All the science shows that sleep deprivation is absolutely devastating to pretty much every part of our bodies, our minds, everything. So some seasons of life, don't get me wrong, I've got young kids too. Some seasons of life, it just comes with the territory where it's part of what you need to go through. But I think for a lot of us and for our culture in general, it's not so much that. It's really become more of a lifestyle choice. And it's affecting our whole person. And Jesus says in that passage we just read is that it's not just affecting our bodies. It's affecting our souls. And so we've got tiredness physically, but we've got tiredness in our souls. And that's why you can take a vacation and still be tired. That's why you can sit on the beach with Snoop Dogg and still be tired. There's an exhaustion that has seeped its way into our souls in the modern world. And there's a number of different sources. It comes from the hurry. It comes from the busyness, the sheer pace of life that we live at. It comes from the constant noise in our lives, whether it's just traffic or whether it's the radio or TV or social media or there's constant noise. It comes from the always-on work culture. It comes from the rising cost of living where more and more people have to work multiple jobs not to have amazing vacations, just to get by. It comes from the digital age where our phones never stop buzzing, where there's a constant stream of alerts and texts and every single app needs to make sure that you get their updates every 35 seconds. And it comes from the churn of 24-7 news cycles and outrage and fear. It comes from polarization politically. It comes from radical individualism in our culture and the epidemic of loneliness and mental health and on and on and on and on. It's just too much to carry. And so is it any wonder that we feel tired all the time? And we can go even further that our exhaustion is not only physical or emotional, but spiritual. Why is that? Well, earlier this year we did an extended series called As Intended where we uh, saw that Jesus says love is the meaning of life. Love is the summary of God's will for humanity. He says, God's intent for you can be summed up in two statements. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is saying, this is God's intended purpose, his intended design for you as a human being. Therefore, the measure of a successful human life is love. That is the metric. The end goal is to become people of love, just like Jesus. But here's the thing. The more tired you are, the harder it is to love. The harder it is to be loving. I'm thinking of last night with my family. <laughs> we went for a photo shoot when the, you know, like, when the, the sun was down and everyone was really tired and at the end of their rope. And let's just say we were struggling to love one another well. <laughs> the more tired you are, the harder it is to be loving. It's hard to love God when you're worn down. It just is. And I I bet if you were to chart the times in your life or the times in your day and your week when you struggle the most with sin, when you struggle the most with temptation, I'd be willing to bet it would map pretty neatly onto the times when you feel most exhausted. And actually, scientists show us that lack of sleep and just physical exhaustion, it actually erodes energy from our prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that that helps you make good decisions, that that restrains you from your bad decisions. And so you literally have less willpower to be able to resist the things that you know you should be resisting. So it's literally harder to control yourself. But second of all, the more tired you are, the harder it is to love people. As a general rule, tired people are not loving people. (laughs) That's certainly a description of me. When I'm at my most unkind, when I'm at my most short-tempered, snappy, irritable with my family, it's when I'm stressed. Tired, exhausted, sleep-deprived, all those things. And yet, if you listen to that litany of pressures and stressors that are in our daily lives as just modern Americans, this is exactly the kind of people that our society is shaping us to be. Just by going along with the flow, this is exactly how we're being shaped. And we wonder where the manners and the civility and the kindness has gone in society. This is not how it's meant to be. Chronic exhaustion in body, soul, mind, and spirit, I need to tell you, is not God's will for our lives. In fact, that is the enemy's will for your life. So the next point is that the enemy is anti-Sabbath. Jesus said, He came that we may have life and life in abundance. And it's a lot harder to live that life as we continue choosing habits of exhaustion. When we're rested, we find ourselves more graceful, more patient, more kind, more hopeful, more loving, just better. (laughs) And so, if that's true... 
We need to untrain ourselves from these habits of exhaustion that we just do by rote. And we need to gain a habit for a new kind of life. And that's what Jesus modeled to us by the practice of Sabbath. The practice of Sabbath habituates habituates us towards rest rather than exhaustion. The word Shabbat, the Hebrew for Sabbath, it literally means to stop. It can also mean to rest, to delight, and even to worship. And so you can say there's four movements of Sabbath, which are stop, rest, delight, and worship. And so those are going to be our four topics as we go through these four weeks of the practice of Sabbath. And so all we're covering today is stop. Um, If you have your Bible with you, uh, you can turn to Genesis 2. It'll be up on the screen as well. Um, Genesis 2, 1 to 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So one thing should stand out to you in that passage, which is this. God Sabbaths. God rested. And I think of all my excuses. Oh, but I'm just so busy. I got to get this stuff done. God rested, Ian. Yeah, but you know, I find rest by getting stuff done, by ticking things off. God rested, Ian. <laughs> yeah, but I got this big project right now, and if I don't do it, it's not going to get done, and I'm going to fail everybody. God rested, Ian. <laughs> yeah, but I got little kids, and you know, God rested, Ian. <laughs> God Sabbath. Do you think you might be able to? Now, don't hear condemnation in what I'm saying. I want you to hear a new freedom in this. That if God rested, you can rest. And guess what? You don't need to feel bad about doing what God did. God, the creator, stopped. And why does he make such a point of it right at the beginning of the whole scripture? You realize how momentous it is to to basically, you know, the second chapter of the entire Bible, this is what it says God did. It's because God resting means this. Sabbath rhythm is built into the fabric of creation. It's built into reality. We work for six days, then we Sabbath. We stop for one. Now, modern life has very little rhythm to it. And yet you look at the natural world, you look at even at our bodies, and you see rhythm all over the place, right? So technology's made us think that we don't need to stop ever. You can just carry on forever. But God created our bodies, and he created the planet with a rhythm, all right, so there's the circadian rhythm, which is between night and day, which is the natural time. Even, you know, sleep experts will tell you if you can get sleep when it's dark and you'll have better quality sleep. Genius, right? There's a rhythm to the seasons. 
You have spring and summer where there's lots of growth and activity, and then you've got fall and winter where things go dormant, and there's, there's a slowness. There's a tight, uh, the, the tidal rhythm between the oceans and the land uh, that's all over the earth. There's the rhythm in, in our bodies of, of breathing and, and the heartbeat. And when we lose a sense of rhythm, maybe we gain a little bit of productivity, but it comes at the price of a little bit of our humanity. And even the productivity is negligible, I would say. (laughs) So we can, when we live without Sabbath, what's happening is, if God has patterned it into creation, when we try and live without it, we're living against the grain of the universe. We're living against the grain of reality. And so, when we try to break the design of the universe, we reap the consequences. When we neglect the rhythm of Sabbath... We suffer the consequences of the stress and the burnout and the, 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 the exhaustion. But we also, as a result, feel this increasing distance from each other and from God. And yet the same is true on the other side. When we go with the grain of our, our design, we reap the reward. And this is mind-blowing. When you, when you get into the studies, sorry, the, uh, the study guide for this practice, you'll hear more about this. But studies have shown that communities that practice Sabbath are not only happier than the general population, they also live longer. Get this. About 10 years longer. And if you took a seventh of your life, that's about 10 years, give or take. So it's almost like for every day that you Sabbath, you add a day on at the end. (laughs) That's pretty cool. But the point is that when we respect the six-in-one rhythm that God's put into us, we find that we're living in tune with God's design. And yet when we neglect Sabbath, we feel the consequences. And so it makes you think, well, maybe this is why God commands it later on in Scripture. He commands it maybe because it's actually good for us. So you may remember that the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, and it's actually the longest of the ten, it takes up 37% of the whole text of the Ten Commandments. What that tells me is that remembering to Sabbath, God is saying, this is fundamental to how I've made you to operate. It's as fundamental to being human as being truthful, as being faithful. And so, even as I say that, somebody is thinking, yeah, but Ian, we're not under the law anymore. Right? We're not under the law. We're under grace. And you're right. You're absolutely right. But just like it's still a good idea not to kill, (laughs) not to lie, not to steal, not to covet your neighbor's house or wife or donkey or servant, even if we're not under law, this is still good advice. This is still wisdom that shows us how to live in tune with how we were designed to be as humans. And so it's not, if you're making it into law, you're off course. What this is, is a gift. What this is, is wisdom to help us live in tune with God's design. And so I I love the way that John Mark Comer says it in the study guide. He says, asking whether we have to keep the Sabbath is about as helpful, helpful as asking if we have to keep the second law of thermodynamics. You can work with it or against it, but it just is. 
Even if the Sabbath commandment is no longer binding, it still stands as wisdom. Lots of things aren't commanded in Scripture, but they're still essential to becoming a person of love. And so this is why Jesus famously said in Mark 2, he said, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. And so in his generation, he was speaking into highly religious situation where they really needed to hear the second part of that. You are not made for the Sabbath. And so if you're here and your experience with Sabbath in the past has been a heavy religious burden, listen to Jesus. You're not made for the Sabbath. But I think far more of us and far more Christians in, in, in our day and age need to hear the first part of his statement, which is this. Sabbath was made for you. This was made for you. It's a good gift from your creator. And so that's why he says to remember it. So what do we remember on the Sabbath? We remember that there's a creator God, and I'm not him. Right? We remember that we live in his world, and it's good. We remember there's a rhythm to creation, and that we need to stop. We are designed to stop. We remember that our life is a gift. We remember that the world is not only full of evil and injustice, but also full of good and beauty and truth. We remember that when we Sabbath that we owe God our gratitude. We remember that he keeps the world going round and not us. And by remembering these things, what we discover is that Sabbath is not just a day, it's a way of being. It's a way of being in the world. So, practicing the presence, the practice of Sabbath. We're talking about practice. And practice prepares you for something. Right? Practice is not the game. It's preparation for the game. So by practicing one full day of rest, it cultivates in us a habit that serves us in the rest of life. It inculcates restfulness in us that when we practice one day of Sabbath, it changes how we live in all seven days. By practicing Sabbath, we move from restlessness to restfulness. We move from hurry to peace, from busyness to margin, from burnout to a sustainable pace, from noise to quiet, from distraction to clarity, from isolation to solitude, from crowds to community, from grasping to gratitude. I don't know about you, but I want those things. I long for those things. And so, Sabbath is a means to an end. The end goal is not to be able to say, I practice Sabbath. Look at me. Look how well I practiced. Get this, it's not even to be well-rested and happy. Those are benefits, but actually the end goal of practicing Sabbath is to participate in the love and life of God. It's that his presence, we would be more open to his presence in our lives. And we can't do that when we're constantly working and being productive. 
by practicing the way of Jesus, we open ourselves more and more so that his presence can transform us. You do not have to live a life of nonstop exhaustion. That's my good, good news to you this morning. And right where you are, no matter your stage of life, there is a way for you to practice this. There's a way for you to Sabbath with Jesus. You don't need a different life. You just need a different way. And you don't have to buy it. You don't have to order it. It doesn't come with a product. You can't earn it. The message this morning is that all you need to do is stop. So I want to tell you about our exercise for this week, okay? That's the message. Let me run you quickly through the exercise, and then you guys can, can delve into uh, your groups and all the other resources that are available. And as I tell you this, three quick tips. Number one, start small. If you can't do a full 24 hours, don't let that be the barrier. Start with your lunch break. Start with what you can, all right? Start where you are, not where you should be. Number two, think subtraction, not addition. Sabbath is not another thing to add to your already busy life. It's a question of, what do I need to stop doing so that I can do what God did? And then thirdly, you get out what you put in. The more you give yourself to these practices, the more benefit you're going to reap in your life. Okay, so here is the exercise for this week. There's three parts to it. Again, this is all online. Three basic options. Well, number one, pick a time to Sabbath and give it a try. All right? Sabbath might need to be Sunday. That's a classic option. Saturday, also a classic option. But maybe your Sabbath, maybe you've got a different kind of work schedule. Maybe it needs to be midweek sometime. Selene and I have done Mondays for the last nine years. That's become our, our Sabbath day, our set-apart time to rest. Okay? Again, if, if an entire day is too much, start where you are. Try three or four hours to turn off your phone, close the computer, and just stop. Okay? And try and keep the same time every week, but we will talk more about that as we go on. Because as you do that, you're learning a rhythm, and your body begins to learn that rhythm too. All right, number two, pick a beginning and ending ritual. This one's fun. We don't have one of these, so I'm excited to start one of these, whatever it's going to be. Classically, it would be lighting a candle, praying as a family, maybe singing, having a meal. But pick a beginning and ending ritual that marks the moment. Number three, pick one to three Sabbath activities to enter into the spirit of Sabbath. Okay, so I'm going to read you, here's a list of 12 things that people have done historically. This is not a to-do list. This is a, oh, that sounds cool. That should be where it comes from, right? Oh, that sounds restful. Pick those things, all right? 12 common activities in a traditional Sabbath. Lighting candles, blessing the children, eating a Sabbath meal, like a feast. I like that one. Expressing gratitude, <laughs> singing, Worshiping with your church, walking, napping, making love to your spouse. That's a good one. Reading, especially scripture. Spending time alone with God. Spending time with family and friends in conversation, celebration. All right? So, again, these are all in the guide. 
But for week one, pick two or three of those things, pick a time to do it, give it a try, and see what happens. And then what you need to do is reflect on how it went, okay? So here's some reflection questions. Where did I feel resistance? Where was it hard? Where did I feel delight? And where did I most experience God's nearness? Right? So, again, go to nc4.org forward slash practice and uh, you'll get everything and far more. Uh, You can join a group, practice group. You can start a group. And you can find all the resources. Uh, There's a super detailed practice guide, reflection guide. If you're really, you know, an overachiever and you want to do even more, there's a podcast the Rule of Life podcast that accompanies every week that we're going to be following. There's also recommended reading. So you can go as deep into this as you want, but I encourage us all to go as deep as we can. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.